This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Alina. We both lost babies to SIDS in winter 2021. In the throes of grief, I reached out to a stranger on the internet and our friendship was born. In the years since, we've been working hard to survive, rebuild, and navigate the continual challenges that have come our way, including divorce, job loss, dating while bereaved, moving multiple times, health scares, pregnancy and parenting a living child, starting new jobs, and so much more. We are tired. Happily Ever After is out of the question for us, but this podcast documents our journeys to happier ever after because we believe life after loss is worth living. So join us as we laugh, cry, cry until we laugh. (laughs) Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. We had planned this update episode a couple weeks ago and I was in a bad spot then. Like things were not good. (laughs) And somehow the situation has only deteriorated exponentially further since then. The original challenge that I was struggling with was me in the middle of the Jewish high holidays. It's incredibly like triggering time. There's a lot of talk about life, about death, about it's just hard. And it's a lot of family time, a lot of holiday times. It's like Christmas and New Year's back to back, back to back, back to back with a religious component. So it's like Christmas and New Year's and Easter like for a month. And my husband is obviously triggered because of his background and I'm triggered because of my life. And so the house was just really tense and things were really difficult. And I had an EMDR session and my therapist was asking me about it. And like I said, he pointed out that none of the things that I was panicking about in the middle of the night actually had to do with Aiden. And he kind of gently told me that he feels like I'm really out of that first stage of grief. And so Aiden's loss is not the number one concern that I'm dealing with right now. I'm dealing with things that happened because of Aiden's loss, but that is not the number one concern. And I told Alina, I feel like if I was, and we even spoke about this on the podcast, if I'm traveling from New York to Los Angeles and that's like my grief process, I feel like I woke up and I'm in Seattle and it's still, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Like I had thought, you know, in this initial phase that things would be better than they are. The reality is it's still really challenging. And it took me, I didn't even realize that I was past that first stage, like, which sounds so dumb. Like I kept thinking, oh, it's because Aiden died. I'm freaking out because Aiden died. When in reality, like I have to be honest with the fact that it's not because Aiden died. It's because of these other things that are going on. So, um, so I was already in a difficult place. And then, and then um, of course uh, we, got news about this war in the Middle East. And it's been interesting because I think this is a perfect example of like where Alina, I notice my grief is picking up in ways that yours aren't. Like I feel like I'm having, it's it's been a really difficult week because of that. And for you, if you weren't going through IVF, I don't get the impression that it would have been impacting you so much. I mean, you happen to be having a bad week because of the IVF stuff, but it's the first time that I feel like a communal level of grief that I actually don't think you have in general because I don't think you're involved in a community in that way. So I'm not sure if you can relate to these feelings, but I can imagine you're a really empathetic person, so you will. I think I, I, I agree with you that I don't think I have a community in that say, in the same way that where I would feel that. Mm-hmm. I think that the closest, and this is not even close at all, but the yeah. closest was living so close to New York during 9-11. So like having people yes. in my okay. town who's lost lost family members, like I think that's the closest I can 
say. Perfect example. But it's not, it's still not the same, but, but that's. Well, also, I mean, what about the Boston Marathon bombing? Right. And being in Boston during the Boston Marathon bombing, also the, the similar yes. thing. But again, not quite the same. Not quite the same because there's not like underlying um, historic trauma right. regarding like. Generational trauma. Generational trauma and uh, racism. Like we could um, say it's slightly different, but yeah, this level of communal trauma, which has been really interesting because my days these days are completely filled with like checking on people whose family are fighting or have, uh, or are alone with their children. Well, whatever it is. And you're, um, and it's like my entire Facebook feed is missing posters and funeral announcements and um my whatsapp groups are filled with like donate here donate here this person's bringing shampoo this person you know it's like this level of like a response when there's a tragedy this is how we always respond and um it's kind of absorbed in my life it's everywhere and i work in the jewish communal space for with some of my clients and so every meeting i have it's like therapy session. So it definitely feels like it's weighing on my shoulders. And one of the things that I spoke about in the, first of all, I didn't know if I should say anything in our Instagram to begin with, because this is not a political group. I don't, I don't even want to talk about the political side of any of it. Like I only want to talk about this in the lens of the grief, the communal grief, the individual grief, the reactivation of grief. Um, And with this being such a hot topic, I was scared that maybe um, I don't know, people's personal opinions of the conflict would come up. Right. And that's just not my goal. And, it, and it's personal for you in a way. It's not personal for many, many, many people. Like me, yes. it's not personal for me. I think that's what you're saying, right? Is like yes. for, for a lot of people, this is not personal. And for you, it's personal. And so it's it's brave of you to yes. talk about it at all. But I agree with you. It makes sense to like, it's safer to talk about it in the lens of, of the grief. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's the way it feels comfortable to talk about it here. Yeah. So I hope, I hope that, um, like in this conversation that we're about to have, that people listening can, um, resonate with the conversation about the grief while we're moving political. the political context. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's, that's really where I want to focus right now. Um, I have found it to be really hard to see the interviews with people who've lost children. And I can imagine that this is the case. It doesn't matter. I mean, we could talk about this in the lens of Ukraine and Russia, like any conflict or any like global loss, large scale tragedy, you're going to see people who are grieving intimately, like immediately on the news to see missing posters everywhere, to see the interviews with parents who've lost children, to see that look in their eyes and see the um, just being so disassociated. It's triggering for me because it reactivates those feelings in my, in my heart. And I've found it's hard for me to fathom just the loss on such a large scale. Like when I'm reading these numbers, first it was 200, then 400, then 800, then 1100, then 2000. It's like, to me, those numbers aren't just numbers because I know that each one of those is a mother, you know, each one of those has a mother. You might not have children, you might not have a spouse, but you all have a mother. Um, And it's hard for me 
just to know that what those mothers are going for, like going through, um, that's hard. It brings it up. It reactivates it. And I have to, and one of the things I do when I'm feeling anxious is I remind myself like, Judith, you are safe in this moment. You are safe. You are secure. No one is coming to attack you. You're in your home. Cause when you're anxious, your body feels like it's in that fight or flight mode. Like you feel your heart rate, like pulsing, you know, beating, you feel your blood pulsing. And so I have to remind myself you're safe. Everything is okay. Your child is safe. You are safe. But what happens when you're not safe? Like today is Friday. October, I don't know what. And um, the 13th. And like there was someone who posted um, that this is a day for like, I don't know, anti-Semitic activism. I I don't, honestly, I don't even know who posted it. I don't know what leader, I don't know. All I know is that I've been getting emails all day from like security from our temple, security from my daughter's school, security from... Uh, the police. I mean, like there've been police officers who've been sending out letters to all the Jews in my neighborhood saying, you know, we're monitoring the situation closely. There's no active threat that we're aware of. You know, we're going to have more police officers at the the temple this weekend. Like, how do I tell myself that I'm safe when those messages are coming? Because I don't necessarily, I feel safer than I do if I was living in the Middle East right now, but like, I don't really feel safe. I'm like reminded that there are people who might not like me just because of my differences. Um, and so I'm having a hard time calming down my nervous system. Does that make sense? Like an anxious thought will come up and then I have a hard time calming my heart back down and I'll see someone who's grieving actively and it'll re-trigger my grief and I'll have a hard time calming myself down. And so I feel like I'm just living at such a heightened state all the time. It's hard to really rest. Okay. I think that was a little bit of a rant. I think it was really well said. So you're not good is the gist of it. No, I'm (laughs) not good. Um, I'm not good. But here are some things I've been doing to try and protect myself. I'll just say that. Uh, My EMDR therapist, because I was telling him I'm not sleeping at night. I'm having like, you know, he says, Judith, you're... Uh, you're like a live wire. And he was like, you're so sensitive. Your anxiety is so sensitive. Your heart is so sensitive that maybe if somebody could look at five articles without feeling triggered, you can look at one paragraph. And so you have to be aware of your limited abilities right now. And so I've really tried to avoid social media. I've really made an effort not to read news articles, not to engage. I think part of the reasons why I didn't post anything on our own page is because I'm not looking. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. And maybe that isn't ideal. Like maybe in an ideal state, I'd be able to carry some of the weight for my people a little bit more. I have to know my limits. And so I'm, my plate feels full already. And I'm not sure if I can, how much communal grief I can add. You have to put your oxygen mask on before helping anyone else. I have to put my oxygen mask on. And I'm giving permission to anyone who's listening to this who feels intimately involved in the conflict on any side, permission to avoid the news, to avoid social media, to listen to Trader Joe's podcasts and not your normal news podcasts for as long as you need. Because I think it's really hard to give yourself that permission when everyone else around you is like, did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Um, That's one thing I'm doing. And another thing I'm doing is being, um, I'm trying to, be realistic with myself of how much I can support others. My community is really hurting right now. And so we're all looking to each other for support. 
like I said, like every work meeting I have where I'm working with someone who's Jewish, it's like, we're talking about this and they're telling me about their uncles and their cousins and the whatever. And in my neighborhood, people are constantly, like I said, running fundraisers or sharing stories. And, and um, I know so many people that are struggling right now that it's tempting for me to want to reach out to them. And it's tempting for me to want to help hold space for their grief, especially because I'm familiar with it. And I have to tell myself, like, it's okay if we don't text everyone the right thing all the time. It's okay if you don't go to the community vigils. It's okay if you can't comfort people. It's okay. But it's hard because I want to and I feel like I'm equipped to and I still have to prevent myself from doing it. And and you, Judith, before pre-loss, you are someone who would have been showing up to all of those things. You'd be going to the I vigils. You'd be organizing the vigils. You'd be doing this yeah. whole thing. And I think yeah. Aiden's loss has given, has yeah. lowered your capacity to show up. And I bet that's mm-hmm. really painful for you. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's been pretty funny for me, like not funny, <laughs> but there are parts that I see in this communal grief that are so familiar to my personal grief. And like one of it is, like I said, like these my sister called me the other day. She's like, oh, like, I read somewhere that they need shampoo, travel shampoo. And she was like, I've just spent all day collecting travel shampoo. And now I'm driving like six pallets of travel shampoo to JFK. And I'm just sitting there like laughing because I remember when people like would show up to my house with like these hydration packets because someone said that I was dehydrated. It's like, I don't, (laughs) I mean, like this is so ridiculous like I get how people want to give but like the need is like so ridiculous like I don't need your babka I mean I get that you want to give the babka but like I don't need the babka I need to heal so this reminds me of and and this is a this is a story about my father and he was doing the very best he could but it makes me laugh on the day of Quinn's death I have this like super distinct memory I was sitting on the sofa. I'm sure I was in outer space. And my dad just walked over and handed me five olives loose in his hand. He didn't ask, do you want olives? He didn't like, you know, put them on a plate. He just walked over with five loose olives and put them in my hand. And I remember just sitting there looking at the olives in my hand being like, and he didn't, again, didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I took the olives and then I was just holding olives. (laughs) Okay. So there's like, I guess. I don't know who's been making these lists, okay? But someone must have said that they need, like, diapers. So people have been sending, like, adult diapers to the front lines. And I got this picture of, like, soldiers wearing diapers. <laughs> like, what the fuck? They don't need diapers. <laughs> they're, like, just, like, like, they're, like, this picture of, like, them in, like, adult diapers. Like, I, we as a people are so well-intended and just like so poorly equipped. (laughs) That's what it feels like. It feels like they've given me olives. Everyone's just giving olives, walking around with olives in their hands. And everyone's like, I don't, I don't need olives. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, it wasn't like I didn't, I like olives. Like, it's not like, you know, I didn't need or want the olives. I also didn't ask for the olives and I didn't. necessarily want them in my mouth or in my hand right that second I was like I appreciated the love behind the olives in the moment but I was also like now I'm standing here holding olives (laughs) that's what my life has been like and I can't help but laugh yeah I just can't help but laugh the one thing that my loss has equipped me to do is I do feel like I'm saying good things when I reach out to people 
where I don't know if I would have known what to say before. I feel like now I do know what to say. So I've just been texting people who I know who are affected by this and just saying, I want you to know that I care. And I know that there's nothing that I can say that'll make this any better. I just want you to know that I care and that I'm thinking about you and that this is impacting me. And that's it. And I don't ask for anything beyond that. I don't, I just say that. And I feel like, you know, that that's been a helpful tool. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's a skill, right? And that's a way you can show up. Even that's the way you couldn't. Old Judith could not have shown up in that way. She could have organized the hell out of some adult diaper drives. Right. But she would have been sending the wrong thing in a text message. Yeah, exactly. So that's what's been going on for me. It's been difficult. And um, my understanding is it'll probably get more difficult before it gets any better. Easier. You know, it's been interesting because some of my non-Jewish friends have been texting me. Actually, a couple of our listeners text, like, sent a message. Just said, like, I want you to know I care. This is, you know, I've been thinking about you. And it feels really good. Like, that that does feel good. That's a difference that I think being in a communal loss versus individual losses. Like, um, knowing that other people care feels really, like, encouraging and loving as opposed to when you're, like, losing a child. Knowing that people care feels dumb. <laughs> And useless, but because everyone is going through something similar, yeah. everyone feels the weight. I believe them when they say that they yeah. care and that it's impacting yeah. them. So it's been different. It's been interesting. Yeah. I actually posted on the Instagram to ask. I'm curious what other people say about this communal. Yeah, let's see what people responded. Say this. Okay, so here's what some things people have been saying. <laughs> My personal grief has taught me how to hold others in dark times. People who tend to minimize their own grief tend to also minimize others' grief, which leads to more suffering. Yeah. Yes. So I think like well, letting yourself, giving yourself the space to grieve your own grief also adds the capacity for you to care for others, which I think is what you're talking – you were talking about that before too, but I, I agree with that. That person yes. is right. Okay, this person says similar deep feelings bring old feelings to the surface, even if the event is not connected. I 100% agree. There are things that you forget. And then when you see a woman who lost her child um, in such a vicious way and you see in her eyes the pain and suffering, it's like you remember all over again what those earliest days feels like. And I'll actually say that this tragic loss, just like I feel like in school shootings, actually, I also just want to say that there's a piece of me that feels grateful for how Aiden died because it was peaceful. It was natural in its way. It was at home. I never wondered where he was. I never had to fight to get his body back. I never had to um, worry about him suffering or being in pain or being scared. And I think that those things compound the loss. They make it more complicated. You know, we speak about grief and trauma in two different ways, right? Grief never goes away. Trauma can be healed. I think people whose child have has suffered before the loss experience more trauma, not necessarily more grief. But more trauma means they need to do more work, more healing. The grief is the same at the end of the day. The loss, you know, is similar. But not knowing where your child is for three days, that's traumatic. And then to find out they've died at the end of it, you know, in a horrific way where they suffered. Or having to watch a child or finding a video of them slaughtered on the ground. Or that's all adding to the trauma side of things that um, I never had to experience. The fact that I didn't get a knock on my door from the military, that's trauma. I found him. I knew he was safe. 
And I also was able to recount my own steps wondering what happened to wonder about what was going on through the mind of like a terrorist is harder. I think, you know, what happened? Okay. Well, what, I think it's another level. Also, there's a level of feeling like it was stolen from you. If it's a terrorist, whether it be a domestic terrorist with a school violence, you know, or it be an international terrorist from another country, that person stole your child's life. Yeah. And to have your child and their life be a pawn in a geopolitical conflict is its own yeah. trauma as well. His own trauma. Um, I wonder if the parents who have been going through this collective trauma feel comfort in knowing that there are a thousand other people going through the same experience or if it feels like their loss is minimized. I think for people who lost their children during COVID or like parents during COVID, if it just feels like it's lumped together with a million other names that are lost, like no names, no faces, it's just kind of like this clump that we try to forget in our history. And I wonder if because so many people died in this such a mass scale war and so many more people are going to die. Um, if people feel like their loss is so like not individual and that's something that I never experienced yeah. because my loss was individual. Individual and it so was, rare that. And yeah. so rare. Right. Uh, someone else wrote on this response. The I can't imagine is now I know the pain and hate that for all these mothers. Well said. That was really beautifully said. Someone said um, they were talking about how, what happens as they're watching these large scale tragedies. They said 100 percent that their loss, their, the way they feel about these tragedies has changed since their loss, because it says hundred percent, my tears are different post loss. So much we can't control in life, watching people deliberate others, hurt, deliberately hurt others. My brain can't comprehend. Someone said, I feel tragedies personally, the reminders of the cruelty of life and escapable pain. That's also something I want to say. Um, I want to believe that my loss was just a moment in time and that the universe is overall good and that, bad things don't always happen indiscriminately randomly and that mine was just a one time fluke but when you see so when you see something like this just erupt in this way i can't help but feel like this uncertainty of the safety of the world you know the cruelty of the entire world that bad things just happen to people all the time that there are people trapped in situations that they can't get out of and they're held um they're held captive by their own government and they're going to die because of decisions their own government is yeah. going to make. And that goes back to your anxiety, Judith. Like how can you reassure yes. yourself and have yourself feel safe when you're seeing all this senseless, random shit happening to people, right? Like how are you able yes. to console yourself? Things that are not in control. Yeah. Like you can't make, you can't decide what your leaders are going to do yeah. for you. I am sure that there are many, many people on all sides that, I am even just thinking about Russia and Ukraine. I know there are a lot of Russians who don't support the war and yet their leadership is sending their children to the front lines and something they don't believe in. And I'm sure that there are many people in the Middle East now that are feeling similarly. And um, yeah, so that's hard too. Um, somebody said, I am keenly aware of how each death in the tally is a family ruined forever. I mean, to me, that really speaks volumes. I think that's exactly right. So I guess to wrap this up, it's a difficult time yeah. for humanity. And um, I want to send all a whole bunch of love to anybody listening who is 
personally affected by this, literally like your family, your friends, and also anyone who's feeling the weight of this horrific news cycle, which I think is a lot of people even outside of individual communities affected. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, It's not good. The one lesson that I always say is hour by hour, day by day, minute by minute, and sometimes second by second. Let's just get through. And oxygen mask. Put your oxygen mask on first. Oxygen mask on, yeah. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay!